Marketing. From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Hey all, it's Alana Phillips with NextGen in 10, and I am here with Eric Roberge, the founder of Beyond Your Hammock. Thanks for being here with me today, Eric. It's my pleasure, Alana. Thanks for having me on the show. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm going to start us off with the question that I know our audience members will ask as they take a look at your website, this beyond your hammock name and concept. Talk to me a little bit about where the inspiration comes for this name and how it explains really what you do and who you work with. Sure. If you read that beyond your hammock on a wall somewhere, not in the industry, some like in a conference or something like that, what would you think the business did? I'm assuming it's uh, beyond retirement, beyond just relaxation. When I think about that and visualize like, what is somebody doing in a hammock? They must be retired. Would you actually think that though, if I wasn't known to be a CFP in the industry, if you were just like somewhere else, you're in Bermuda and you saw on the side of a wall, like beyond your hammock. I don't know. I think I've got some bias here. So (laughs) tell me what would I think if I didn't know what you do? Well, the point I was trying to make with the name was that I didn't want somebody to assume they knew what I did before they talked to me Mm. about what I did. Mm -hmm. Because I had so many different experiences where I'd say I'm a financial planner. And then someone would say, oh, I know five people who do what you do. And I just wanted to pull my hair out because I would spend the next 10 minutes backing them out of the thought about what I did and then start over again. So with Beyond Your Hammock, I can start fresh with a blank slate and build Mm -hmm. on what I know I do for them to understand it. And so I would imagine beyond your hammock, I mean, it catches my attention. Obviously I've got the bias of our industry here thinking about it myself, right? But if somebody externally is thinking about it, it does make you ask, well, what does that mean, right? What do you even do? So somebody asks you that question, they see beyond your hammock, how do you describe the services that you provide or how you are different as a planner versus the traditional planner? Well, I wanna make sure that people understand truly what we believe and really the reason we do what we do is that we believe that everybody has the opportunity to grow wealth and simultaneously, and this is the key, simultaneously live well today. And those things are usually at odds with one another when it comes to financial planning and advisors get a bad rap because they tell you to save for tomorrow and they don't talk about how you should enjoy yourself right now. And tomorrow is not promised. So we need to have that delicate balance, right? So that's where we're coming from with what we do And then who we do it for is vastly different than the typical advisor, because that's people that are in their thirties plus or minus five years and have a lot of planning to be done. A lot of advisors say, well, they don't need to do much. It's a simplified version of financial planning. And then when they get older, they get more complex. And that is so not true, right? Just because it's not social security or Medicare or end of life planning doesn't mean that there isn't cash flow conversations, home buying conversations, having children, paying for college, saving for retirement, changing businesses or careers, all of that stuff is going on. And if you're not on point with your financial planning, you're going to put yourself behind the eight ball really quickly. 
I, I think this is so interesting, Eric, because you're right. There are so many advisors that say, oh, young people don't need a financial planner. I don't work with young people because their situations, the complexity, you know, doesn't require my services. And I always feel like that's a, a little disparaging, you know, to young people that like, oh, our situations aren't complex, whatever that means that, you know, we just don't have more money. So when you're working with this group, then a lot of different life events that are happening, it sounds like you're working through I'm imagining you got some of that messaging that you couldn't work with or shouldn't work with young people. So how did you decide to work with this group of people? It was probably because I was told I couldn't that really made me decide to do it. After five years as a financial planner working for other firms, I got the hint that our industry wasn't working with younger people. They weren't profitable. We couldn't really do what we needed to do to make them a good client. And the combination of that being told to me which automatically I was saying, well, let me try. And also the fact that I was younger and still am, I mean, I'm, I'm 41 now. I was 27 when I started in the industry and 33 when I started my company. So I was right in that mode of, I have a lot of things financially that I need to be doing right now. I wonder who else has these same things. Oh, it's the people that I'm actually networking with. Why would I not try to work with the people that I network with? instead of trying to work with retirees who I don't see out there on the streets. Sure. Yeah. And all the ways that we're told to go network with retirees, going to chamber of commerce and, you know, all of these different avenues, it's not, it doesn't normally fit the standard sort of young person coming into our industry and probably contributes to why there's not more of a, a influx of new younger people coming into our business. We're going to pause really quickly for a break. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. And we're back from that break, Eric. We'll pick up right where we left off. So you're a rebel, Eric, which I love in terms of you got this messaging. You said, no, I'm going to figure out how to do this. I think part of what may have influenced this, you talked about before that blue ocean strategy. Can you explain that to our listeners and how that ties into your rebellion? Yeah, it's a great book. And one whose concept, I think, does more than maybe the all the details inside of the book. And I say that because I don't remember all the details inside of the book, I remember what it means. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the red ocean versus the blue ocean. The red ocean is where all the competition lies. It's the bloody ocean because everybody is competing against one another for the same clients. And that makes sense because when a business starts in an area and they're successful, other people want to also do that same thing in that same area for the same type of client. And then after a while, it gets so overloaded that there's no more room and everybody's just stealing from one another. And the blue ocean is a place where there, there's no competition and the clients are just ready for the service. And the, the, the really the thing that drives this home in the book is the example that they use, which is the circus and Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. And the fact that in the circus, the audience was typically maybe lower income. It was very casual, slapstick comedy, peanuts on the ground, just dirty animals, fun. And then you had the opposite in Broadway shows where it was flashy lights and glamour and people in suits. And you would never catch one 
audience member in the circus in Broadway because they maybe couldn't afford it or they just don't see themselves there and vice versa. So then Cirque du Soleil comes along and says, wow, let's grab the glamour and the lights and the flashiness of Broadway and also the animals and the acrobatics and the fun and comedy of the circus. And let's combine them in a place where the ticket price is right in the middle. So the people at the circus can afford to come up there and the Broadway people will actually show up as well. And also there's this new track of people who aren't going to either place, but would love to go to Cirque du Soleil. So when I heard that example, I thought about the industry, financial planning industry, this is back in 2012, and millennials came to mind as someone who is not even touched as far as clientele is concerned. And I was basically salivating over the fact that I could create a business that could provide so much value to these people and no one else is doing it. Let me try. I love it. Yeah. I, I think that uh, millennials are that group. And the fact that you could see that sort of difference between the bloody ocean, which I think is a really good visual of what the industry looks like going after that, you know, high net worth client, but to go where there is no competition and create a marketplace is so cool. So obviously, Eric, you had no fear in doing this. <laughs> uh, I'm joking, but it was there anything when you look back on it that you wish you had thought about differently or you had done differently in going out to sort of the fringe to create this marketplace? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question because there are things that I would have done differently. And I look back and say, if I did those things differently, would I be in the place I am now? And that's a big question mark. And the thing that I didn't do that maybe I should have considered was maybe using some of the templated examples or services that were already existing in our industry that could have been applied to people like millennials versus just saying, you know what, I'm dropping this industry. I'm completely going into left field. I'm going to start something new from the ground up, recreate the wheel, and then figure it out from there. So the challenges of doing that really had me think hard and not feel tied to something that already existed, which was important, but also had me maybe overlook a few things that would have been really easy to add to my business that would have facilitated the service that have been proven to work you know, for the last 20 years. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, your example of Cirque du Soleil, right? They they didn't just completely start from scratch and get rid of every piece of what a circus process looked like or what a Broadway show looked like. They kind of took the best of those things and made it into something new. So that's a great, I think, lesson to pull from that. And hopefully something that helps our audience as they're thinking about how can they find that blue ocean for themselves that you don't have to completely destroy or get rid of the things that maybe are foundational elements of planning or our industry. Yeah. It's, it's taking the emotions out of the decision and really doing what's practical and also influential for, for the business you're trying to, to build. Excellent. Well, Eric, thanks for sharing that with us about the beginnings of Beyond Your Hammock. I know we'll continue our conversations, but our audience certainly appreciates your advice and experience. Oh, you're welcome. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.